Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falkenstein from Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hello. And freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Hello, people. Now, it is May 9, and it is the day that the Sydney Film Festival program is launched. The biggest festival in the country. The program is here. The tickets are now available. We will be breaking down the program in some detail later in the show, as well as airing an interview from the Irish Film Festival with Trevor Burney, the producer of No Stone Unturned. First, we have a brief interview with the Sydney Film Festival director, Nashan Moodley, which was conducted immediately following the program launch just now. Nashan, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, great. It's a great pleasure, as always. So you've just launched the program. We're very excited to get into it. Can you tell us about this year's Sydney Film Festival? Uh, again, it's a program of uh, many films from all around the world. We're representing 65 countries this year, which I think is... Uh, Incredible. I've just thought about it. It's our 65th year and there's 65 countries represented in the program. So that's a, a great thing. I think uh, what, what we like to say is that this program is about uh, diversity and about contrast, about uh, presenting the films of great established filmmakers, but also introducing so many new filmmakers. Uh, I think the competition has uh, a number of filmmakers who are new to the festival and uh, throughout the program there are many first films. And it's really exciting that we, from the very first festival, all those years ago, I think this element of discovery for the audience was very important. And all these years later, uh, for the 65th edition, I'm happy that we can say we're still presenting opportunities for that discovery, for the audience to find their new favorite filmmakers. Were there any particular goals with the um, programming of this specific festival compared to previous years? Um, not specific goals. I think our goal remains the same every year, which is to, to present the very best of cinema from around the world in Sydney in these 12 days. I think that's what we, that's our fundamental objective. Um, it's not always easy. We have to struggle for many films, and uh, there are long and intense negotiations for many films. But I really feel we've, uh, we've achieved that. Uh, of the films that we could secure, we've, we've really... Uh, got a lineup of, of fantastic films there are of course every year there's some films that for whatever reason don't work out release dates or um, other peculiar things that happen in the film world but um, overall I can say that, you know they're, they're fewer than those I can count on my hand that I that we tried to get and didn't get uh, and I'm, I'm really delighted with what we have were there any films in particular that you'd like to point our listeners in the direction of at this early stage? Look, I'd, I'd say always uh, to watch the films in the official competition. There are 12 films that celebrate audacious cinema, uh, films that are either looking at, in terms of their form or in terms of their view, are somehow different from what we expect and what we're accustomed to. And uh, I'm, I'm very excited about the competition this year. I think we have, uh, again, as I said, many new voices in the competition and um, that's important I think it's uh, uh, it's great to see films by filmmakers you know nothing about you can't possibly this is their first film uh, and uh, that's exciting and uh, when we when we when we choose to play a film in the competition we know what that means it's uh, it's a big deal it's a very big haul it's an audience that knows cinema so we have to be protective of those those films as well. And so if we put something in competition, we're, we're extremely confident that it's something uh, tremendous and that the audience is going to respond to. We have some amazing films 
in the competition, but also some Australian pictures, which we'll get to see run at the State Theatre and else throughout the festival. Absolutely. We're very happy to have the world premiere of Jugger by Benjamin Gilmore in the competition. Uh, we have uh, some wonderful films like 1%, uh, Brother's Nest, Strange Colours, uh, a world premiere of uh, a Sydney-set film called Chocolate Oyster, and... Uh, as usual, 10 fantastic Australian documentaries that will, will compete for the Documentary Australia Foundation Prize. So uh, Australian cinema makes up 25% of the program this year. And uh, I think uh, Australian cinema is in, is in good shape. I, I, I want for more people to see Australian films at the cinemas. At the festival, Australian cinema does very, very well. During theatrical release, I think there, there's a great deal of work to be done. And... Uh, I would like for more people to see Australian films in the cinema. I think every country needs to have its own film culture and have its own film culture supported by its people. It's becoming increasingly difficult everywhere in the world and uh, it's something we should fight for. Very strongly agreed. I agree and it's wonderful to see so many Australian premieres and Australian films at the festival. We also have some very big films, very serious films coming out from major festivals around the world including one that I believe starred today overseas. Uh, yes, uh, the Cannes Film Festival uh, started last night and it's, it's very complicated for us to get films from Cannes uh, because we of course announce the program usually before Cannes even begins. Um, but I'm really happy that we've managed to secure some fantastic films uh, from Cannes, uh, from all the sections, from the official selection, the competition, uh, a certain regard. We have a few films from Directors Fortnight and from Critics Week. And uh, it's a range of films from really, really established directors, uh, Spike Lee, Jaffa Benahi, Nuri Bilgejelan, uh, to a first-time director who's showing her film in Critics Week uh, called Sofia Shilaji. Um, her film's called One Day, which we're playing in the competition. We have, um, in our special presentation section, uh, Nandita Das's film, Manto. So it's a, a range of films from uh, filmmakers very well known on the festival circuit, filmmakers brand new to the festival world. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, we're very proud that we've managed to secure these films most of them will screen in Cannes and, and the next screening in the world will be here. So it will be the first time a public audience can see these films. It's incredibly exciting and it's a wonderful experience being part of the festival and a part of the environment. Um, now there's so many films over so many different countries. Are there a couple that uh, may not feature in the official competition that people may not notice but people should definitely check out some ones that really jumped out at you well I think there's, there's so many it's, it's really difficult for me to pick one or two films I, I think it's uh, it's really difficult um, but uh, a film like Rafiki which we've, we've spoken about I think uh, there are not that many films from Kenya that are available to us um, in Australia uh, and I think Rafiki is a, a very fine film by a very talented director called Waniri Kahiu and people should see the film. Um, there's a, f a film in, in the feature film section that I think is also extraordinary called An Elephant Sitting Still. It's um, a Chinese film that's four hours long. Uh, sadly, the director took his own life before the film was finished. So it's his first and last film. Uh, his name was Hu Bo. And uh, I think the film's a masterpiece. And I don't think there'll be many opportunities uh, again to see this film. Uh, Maybe we'll have a restoration in 30 years like we have with A Brighter Summer Day. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited about A Brighter Summer Day. It's fantastic to be able to show it. And I hope it's absolutely full. Um, <laughs> Me too. I've, I've never seen the film on a 35mm print. I saw it on a terrible... I 
think, DVD made from a very bad VHS many years ago. <laughs> so if, even if I can't be there at that screening, I'm, I'm happy that people can finally see this film in, in pristine condition. Uh, there won't be many, many more opportunities in the cinema, I don't think. Now, it's the festival program just went live. It's months to go for the people who want to book tickets and who should book tickets early. Where do they go? How do they grab their seats? Our website is the easiest place to get tickets, and you can buy a range of tickets, starting from a single ticket to uh, a FlexiPass study, which allows you and friends to use study tickets to, to the festival. That saves you a lot of money. Um, so go to our website, sff.org.au, and you'll have a range of ticket options available to you. National, we've had a great chat and look forward to speaking more later in the month and some more detail about the program. Congratulations on an amazing launch and we look forward to and get out there. Book your tickets now. Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me on the show. So yeah, that was Nashan. He's done well this year. It's pretty impressive. There are some good gets. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by the doco focus this year that the program has. It's a very interesting twist or bent to the Sydney Film Festival. That was the first thing that struck me when I looked at the program. I thought this seems to be mostly documentaries, which I'm a little bit annoyed by because I'm very much more of a features person, but I know that there's a lot of people who go to this festival that will be very pleased by that selection. That's not to say that there aren't great films listed in the features. The three main ones from Khan that we mentioned in that Nishan Moodley interview in particular, I think, are, are very exciting. The Nubir Shalan, the Jafar Panahi, and the, it's the Spike Lee film, which is probably sold out by the time you're listening to this. Yeah, if you are listening to this and it is not sold out, get your tickets. It is screening on the last Saturday and Sunday of the program. It is a joint collaboration between Spike Lee and Jordan Peele of Get Out fame and it's a ridiculous story, true story or based on a true story of a African-American detective played by David Washington, Denzel Washington's son who infiltrates a bra- and rises within the ranks of the Ku Klux Klan and this is as Adam Driver of Star Wars and other fame. It's just I'm really looking forward to this one. I think it's one of the ones that probably will, if not has already, booked out pretty fast. You mean Adam Driver of Patterson fame? Surely. <laughs> fair, fair. He did. It was, Patterson was a couple of years ago at the festival. Yeah. Yeah, it was, that was wonderful. Adam Driver's quickly becoming a mark of quality, I'd say. I, I rarely don't enjoy a film that he's in now. While we do have the big Khan hits, we also have a number of interesting Australian premieres of Australian content. Um, Censored, a film by Sari Braithwaite, an Afters alumni who made the film often Afters uh, grant to focus on censorship, has compiled a compendium of, uh, of a film entirely of censored footage. It reminds you of that scene in um, Cinema Paradiso. Talking about censorship, I'm really intrigued to see Terranalius by Soda Jerk and all the controversy that happened. Melbourne have got to see it, so it's about time Sydney get their hands on them. I'm really excited for this one. I, I don't know. Uh, it looks a little bit obvious. Yeah, the, the, the trailer looked like a pastiche of Mad Max and the Rick and Morty episode where they parodied Mad Max from season three. Um, it has got some controversy because, as I understand, one of the backers pulled out of it. Um, but I'm yet to... Yeah, but is this the one you'll be catching for us? Yeah, uh, and it's really interesting to see that this work was commissioned and then the sort of society that commissioned it, which funded the work, basically disassociated themselves saying that we basically don't approve, which is fascinating. I don't think that's ever happened before. This one that's going to cause a lot of intrigue and interest at the festival, as will some of the strands. There's the Freak Me Out section, which every year delivers a lot of interesting shocks and horror. Um, there's one I'm looking particularly forward to called The Ranger, where so cops are chasing a bunch of teenage punks who are being terrorised by a, quote, unhinged park ranger. There's a compendium, which is a follow-up to the ABCs of Death, of uh, nine directors from eight countries working on different types of 
horror and mythic folklore. And every year there's always been a quite reliably good horror theme to the festival. What I'm particularly looking forward to is the European Voices on Film, which highlights the um, work of several prominent female European directors. Um, there's a number of guests that are coming to the festival. There'll be a lot of guests coming out to the festival this year. Uh, many are part of that particular strand. There's one Irish film looking forward to, um, A Mother Takes Her Son to Be Shot, which is about a self-policing community in Northern Ireland. It just looks absolutely fascinating. I think the title in that regard is self-explanatory. I know we talked about um, Dockers and some of the light affair earlier, but there is a lot of quite intensive stuff that is going to be screening as a part of this festival. What I'm really intrigued about is this film, which has got a very salacious title called Don't Worry, You Won't Get Far on Foot, which is the new Gus Van Sant film. And as someone who's very passionate about disability, president representation of disability, this feature on American cartoonist John Callahan, it's going to raise a few eyebrows for sure. Yes, um, it's one of two Joaquin Phoenix films playing at the festival. The other, which is very different, is You Were Never Really Here, which will be in cinemas, I think, shortly, well, it's a little bit after the festival. Um, speaking of the screenability program, um, that is put together by Sophia Galano of Screen Australia, and there's a number of shorts, but also a number of uh, feature films. And uh, I know we talked at quite some length about the screenability section last year, and it seems that they've got a number of great features together for this one too. I'm really happy that it's not just an offshoot or something, you know, which is slightly interesting that the festival is taking it quite seriously and looking to develop it into a proper strand which is really really interesting um, and on a slightly separate note um, there is, seems to be quite an interesting focus well the, fo- the, the country focus is Italy the are, there are a lot of films focused on the Middle East and specifically uh, Afghanistan. There's the Australian premi- the world premiere of the Australian film Jirga, which follows a journalist going to travel to Kandahar to meet with locals there and the travails he went through. There is the Oscar-nominated cart- uh, animated film The Breadwinner from the producers of the wonderful Irish film which played at the festival Song of the Sea a few years back. And um, there's a few other dramas which are quite interesting. So I'm there's a few films focused there's a, The Insult, which is a very prominent film, as is Foxtrot, which is one I know Chris is excited to see. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm keen for a lot of the Middle Eastern programming, actually. The Jafar Panahi film Three Faces, I think, is going to be fantastic. He's been doing some of the best work of his career since he was put under house arrest, and each time he makes a film seems to be flagrantly violating those restrictions more and more. This one's a road movie, so I don't think you could be le- uh, you know, less obedient than he is with this film. I think we're really spoiled for choice considering we have a new Panahi, we have the new Nuri Bilt Ceylon, and we have the new Mani Hajiji in the same year. The new Mani Hajiji, which is salaciously titled Pig. I mean, just that title is very exciting to you. It's supposedly a satirical black comedy about, you know, everything from the Middle East is a satirical black comedy in some sense, I guess, because, you know, the society there is just... And I find it so interesting how despite so heavy censorship, the Middle Eastern sort of cinematic ways of expression are constantly more and more engaging and they find more and more fierce ways of actually flagrantly sort of flaunting that kind of oppression in that sense. And it's so fascinating for an area which is so heavy on censorship to be actually producing such good films. Um, Speaking of the issue of censorship, we have spoken about it quite a bit in this program. There is a uh, the first Kenyan film ever to screen at the festival, which um, we did talk about with Nashin earlier. Yes, Rafiki, straight from Uncertain Regard at the Cannes Film Festival, has a lot of buzz around it. But 
Um, banned in Kenya. Banned in Kenya. So we may be one of the first audiences to see it, which is very exciting. Talking about censorship as well, uh, there are one of the two Nandita Das features, one of them from Khan again, is called Manto, which is based on an Indian writer called Sadat Hassan Manto. Much of his works are banned for being considered either blasphemous or completely you know, too salacious to be sold as paperbacks. And that's his biography being being made into a film direct from Khan and it's being played by Nawazuddin Siddiqui, who's basically a very good actor. He was in Gangs of Wasipur, if you remember. So very good Indian films. And I'm looking forward to that one. So censorship is actually a good sort of tying-in theme for this year's festival. Well, we're glad a lot of these films aren't censored because we do want to see them. But speaking of blasphemy, segue there, um, one major film we haven't brought up is The Miseducation of Cameron Post, which is also from Can I Understand and... Oh, uh, Sundance, actually, I think. Sorry, you're right, it is from Sundance. There's a few Sundance films that will be screening here. And that is about, and I'm just quoting here, a comedy drama about a teen who is sent to a Christian gay conversion camp. Um, another film, there's quite a few um, films aimed at young people and animated films as well, um, one of which we saw a giant bee as we walked into the festival hub. Yeah, Maya the B-movie. We've also got The Breadwinner, which continues the focus on Afghanistan, a new film from the filmmakers behind Song of the Sea and The Secret of Kells, as well as one I'm excited for, Mirai, from the Japanese anime director Mamoru Hosoda. Um, I find his work to be pretty up and down in terms of quality, but when he's good, as in the film uh, Wolf Children, he can create some fantastic family films. This, I think, will be no exception. Should we talk about the opening night film, which I thought was a very interesting pick? I wouldn't yeah. think it was a quintessential opening night film, The Breaker Uppers, uh, which is exactly produced by Taika Waititi. So it's an interesting pick. Looks kind of like a um, bro-sis kind of hangout gag fest, raunchy comedy. I don't know. Yeah, it does It does look like a bit of fun. Um, I'm very curious about it. I'm looking forward to having a chat to the filmmakers there. And the closing that film we should also mention is the Nick Offerman Tony Collette film, Hearts Beat Loud regarding a father-daughter band duo. Um, we'll be leading short, we'll be bringing you much more coverage about the Sydney Film Festival in the coming weeks. The program, as Nash had said, is live. Now, book your tickets, get in early because a lot of them are going to sell, but no doubt there will be more films screening and being announced shortly. Uh, we're going to leave you now with an interview with Trevor Bernie, the producer of No Stone Unturned, the new Alex Gidley documentary, which screened at the Irish Film Festival, which is now available on iTunes. It's Saturday night at the Irish Film Festival, and we've just seen the Australian premiere of the documentary No Stone Unturned, and we're here with the producer of the film, Trevor Burney. Trevor, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you very much. So first of all, you've arrived in Sydney very recently. How are you enjoying your time? Well, this is my first time in Sydney, and it's been uh, it's been fabulous. I've been in Australia once before, and uh, but only got as far as Adelaide. So, getting into Sydney and taking a look around, I have to say, it hasn't disappointed. It's been an amazing time, and this is a fantastic festival. I have to say, all the people who have volunteered and the people who are around and make this all happen, I have to say, hats off to them. It's been it's been fabulous, and I think for the film and for uh, all of us who have been working on this for so long. Um, I don't think the audiences really truly appreciate how much we are so thankful to come a huge distance, but to be able to spend uh, some time in a cinema on a Saturday night watching a film with an audience like that who are so engaged and so wanting to talk about it and so wanting to hang around into the you know the later part of the evening just to talk about it. I mean, I have to say it's just fantastic. And uh, so I've loved every minute of the time, I have to say, in Sydney, and I can't wait to come back. We'd love to have you back, and it's, I've certainly enjoyed the festival too. Now, your film, No Stone Unturned, can you tell us about your documentary? 
Though Stolen Turned is about um, uh, an horrific incident that happened uh, back in 1994. And in the summer of 1994, um, there was, for the first time in many, many years, starting in my lifetime, there was the beginning of uh, the... Uh, there was an air of optimism. Um, there was uh, talk that there were going to be ceasefires and there was going to be the end of the conflict. And for those who had been born into conflict, as I was, I was born into Northern Ireland at a time where the conflict was uh, um, was um, really getting going. So I'd nothing, I knew nothing more than living in a in a in a conflict zone, knowing that people were dying day and daily. So at that point in in the summer of ninety four, there were two big things happening. One, there was this move towards a a peace, but two. Uh, there was the World Cup was happening, the Soccer World Cup was happening in America, and the Republic of Ireland was one of the only was the only team from what we call the home nations in Ireland that got to the World Cup. So everyone watches the World Cup in Northern Ireland, and on the 18th of June 1994, we all went out, and myself and my brother went out to a cricket club, believe it or not, in East Belfast to watch uh, the Republic of Ireland taking on Italy. But that evening was clouded because we knew that three days previously. Uh, three members of a loyalist paramilitary organisation were shot dead on the streets of Belfast and we knew going out that night and the reason we went to a cricket club in East Belfast was because um, it was a very quiet little place away from uh, the main roads and we did that because we knew that loyalist paramilitaries whenever they were attacked they basically lashed out and they would lash out against the softest of targets and uh, a bar full of supporters watching a soccer match was the softest of targets. So we knew that night what could happen and uh, shortly after the game was over when the Republic of Ireland beat Italy 1-0, news started to come through that there had been an attack on this little rural pub, a little pub that's no bigger than, you know, a living room in many homes. It's tiny. It would probably only take about 15 or 20 people in the pub to fill it. And what had happened is uh, two gunmen appeared at the door. One of them had gone through the door and opened up with an automatic rifle, um, fired 39 shots, and um, six men died. Uh, All of them shot standing with their back to the door watching a soccer match. And one of the people who died was 87 years of age, um, Barney Green, smoking his pipe, watching the game, enjoying the atmosphere in this little tiny rural pub. You know, it isn't even a village, it's a crossroads. Lockin Island was the, the scene of this attack. Lockin Island it isn't even a village, you couldn't call it a village, it's just a crossroads. It's got a church, it's got a pub, and that's it. You know, there isn't even a shop. You know, there's a shop some distance away, but there's no shop in it. And, uh, and these six men died. And this film looks at that incident on that night, why it happened, how it happened, who are the suspects, and it also looks primarily at the cover-up um, of the police knowledge and understanding and their role and involvement with some of those who uh, were involved in the attack. And what we, we peel back on is the collusion uh, between the police force and the paramilitaries that were involved and the fact that some of those that happened to be involved in the attack were also informants for the police and uh, had been informants prior to the attack. And uh, so the police had 
knowledge of the people who were in the car that drove to that little pub to carry out this horrendous attack and the film examines how um, that could have happened. It certainly is a shocking event and it's, it's amazing how much new light the film sheds on the circumstances and the investigation and the many subsequent investigations by the Budsman and many others. Now, working with Alex Gibney on the film, who's a one kind of acclaimed documentary filmmaker, it would have been quite the experience. I'm curious about working with Alex and how he also got involved in the project. Well, Alex and I have known each other for um, several years. We met at the Galway Film Festival uh, just after I think he'd won an Oscar for um, uh, his incredible movie Taxi to the Dark Side. So we'd had this relationship and uh, we worked on a film together called Maya Maxima Culpa. Uh, which uh, examined um, the uh, child abuse within the institution of the Catholic Church. And uh, it was during, or I think just shortly after we uh, that film was premiered, that we began talking about this film. And uh, so Alex and I have got to know each other over, the, over um, several years. But I have to say that um, Alex uh, came at this film with a real sense of determination, a real incredible zeal, He brought um, that external reference to this film. Because in Northern Ireland, we've known and lived with these stories all our lives. Alex's ability to take uh, what they call as a helicopter view above this story, to be able to bring all his experience as the master storyteller he is to the film, was both invigorating and uh, challenging at the same time. Um, Because Alex was coming in from a very different cultural perspective on what could be done in a film like this and what could not be done. We um, in Northern Ireland have come to, um, to, to uh, an understanding of journalism and how far journalism can go. And what Alex Gibney did is sort of ripped up those, those understandings and the rule book and said, we're going to push this story as far as we possibly can. And uh, I think that, was, uh, that challenged us in a really positive way um, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't easy, and uh, um, thank God we had the relationship that we had um, that sustained us through it, um, because it was very tough. And uh, this is uh, a very tough film, and it was a very tough film to make. And uh, but thank God we had the families of the Lock and Island uh, massacre behind us, and their lawyer Niall Murphy. And uh, because of that support, and because of their um, integrity and because of their um, determination to get to the truth and the full truth and the unvarnished truth, then we got to the film that we have and we're very, very proud of it and uh, we're just, it's been it's been a privilege to work with you know, one of the finest documentarians of our time in Alex Gibney and we're very proud of the fact that we, we, we brought the story to him and he was prepared to, to make the film that he did. I think you can be very proud of it. It's an amazing film, and I think it is a film that will and has made some waves. And certainly since the film has been screened at festivals and around the world, um, has there been any follow-on in terms of the investigation or the public understanding of what happened back in 1994 and bringing the perpetrators to ultimate justice? Well, um, the short answer is no, there hasn't. Uh, I mean, um, uh, the issue is in Northern Ireland that there isn't either the political will nor the resources to go after, um, you know, the 3,000 unsolved murders out of the conflict. You know, 3,700 people died over the course of the conflict and 3,000 of those murders remain unsolved. 
uh, the police today have enough to deal with in terms of the day-to-day crime. They simply do not have the resources, and they don't have the resources because the British government don't want to give them the resources. The British government don't want to give them the resources because they don't want to upset the political ecology that we now have, the uneasy peace that we have in Northern Ireland. And if the police did start to go after the suspects or the killers in this case, well, then other families going to expect them to do it about their loved ones, and where does that end? And the police simply uh, don't have the resources. And as I say, the British government are not going to give them the money or the finance or the political support to do that. However, what the police did do, which is interesting, is they did make a statement after the film um, was shown in Northern Ireland and said that they wanted to launch a criminal investigation into the leaking of a document that we have in the film. Now, you know, you can imagine how the families felt about that. Here they had six men shot dead in cold blood and the police's first statement was to say, oh, we're going to go after the journalists because they've got a hold of a document. I think it was just, a, frankly, it was insulting and disgusting um, that really what they're going to do is put you know, the filmmakers under criminal investigation and today we still remain under investigation um, in regards to this, this document that uh, was sent to us, thank God, by somebody who, who was, I believe... Um, well motivated someone who, who could see that there was uh, a shocking injustice and that uh, the families were not being given the full truth and they were motivated to send that document to us and if it wasn't for them we wouldn't be able to bring the detail that we were able to bring to the screen that you've witnessed tonight. Well Trevor it's a remarkable film and a remarkable issue of ongoing concern and th- thank you so much for all your hard work and for your time tonight and for your amazing contribution to the festival. Thank you very much it's been fantastic look forward to coming back and that was Trevor Burney, the producer of No Stone Unturned, the new Alex Gibby documentary, which is available on iTunes. We'll be back with more coverage of the Sydney Film Festival, and more importantly, back next week with the episode we have very been planning for quite a while. We are reviewing Iron Man, Speed Racer, and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Why, you ask? Those films are 10 years old. Yes, they are 10 years old. We've got to go back, Marty. Back to the early noughties? Yes, we'll travel back in time, much like Doctor Who in the TARDIS. And it's going to be fun because we will be reviewing those films as if it was 2008. It is, and but and also talking about maybe some festival coverage, which will may or may not take place ten years in the future. This has been Glenn Falcons, Chris Evans, and Virat Nehru. Enjoy movies, enjoy festivaling. Have a wonderful night. Good night. Bye. Bye.